0: advent season and um we've been looking at the gifts that come with jesus the gifts that are gifted to us that are that start there but they don't end there that we receive those gifts but then we're called to share that to pass that on and um there's uh, quite a few of these left in the lobby but um this is what we've been doing together as a church a regifted advent bingo too if you haven't gotten one of these it's your special little bingo card the good news is there's still two weeks left and you can try to complete as many of these little tasks as possible things as simple as holding the door open for two people complimenting people smiling at someone um, leaving a positive online review for somebody a seller that you have so anyway pass it on uh re-gift the joy of this advent and christmas season um and so we've been anyway talking about those things and and talking about the gifts that jesus gives us starting with the first week with hope and how Jesus offers us hope and we're called to pass on that hope to others and last week we talked about the gift of peace the gift of peace that is different than the world's peace because the world's peace is tied to circumstances and everything going right but how we can experience peace through Christ because of that gift that he gives us and this week of course is joy so Just a question for you. What do you think of when you hear the word joy? Besides cute little children singing on a Sunday morning. What what do you think of when you hear the word joy? What are, what are some things? Avoiding Walmart on the weekends. That's joy, right? That's, that's joy for me. And anybody just shout out Spring. spring. Spring is joyful for some people, right? Sleep. Yeah. Sleep can be joyful. Yeah receiving grand grandchildren. Yes. Especially the little baby ones, the cute ones, right? (laughs) Yeah. What's that? No homework. Yes. Especially for our college students and, and I know everybody's getting ready for break time. So yeah. Yeah. Family, right? These things of joy. Well, if you didn't know, the definition of joy is, if you look it up, it means perpetual gladness of the heart. Perpetual gladness of the heart, it's a positive thing. Um, But if we really, really admit it, doesn't it seem that joy can be very fleeting, though? It can kind of change with the moments. Um, It it can be hard. It can be hard to live in a perpetual state of joy. And I think that's because life is hard, right? That that there are the ups and downs, that everything is not always hunky-dory. It's not always positive. And... um, Even if, even if you took some of these singing children that we're singing today, if you took some of them with you, eventually you would experience something like this, right? I don't know if you've ever had a great picture, Christmas picture, just exactly like that, right? Eventually somebody's going to have a meltdown. Eventually, like joy kind of disseminates, It, it kind of leaves us and that happens. And many of us, we try to find or we think that we can find joy in things by acquiring things. The things that we think should give us joy wind up not doing so. They they disappoint us. But I think why, why joy may seem so fleeting is because we may need a different approach to it, a different perspective to it, that maybe... Maybe we've been searching for joy all wrong because joy is not something to be found in the first place. That it's not waiting in your next career move or your next relationship or your next vacation or your next nap time. No, that it may not have its source or sustainability in a thing. And that's what we're going to look at today, a kind of forgotten factor in developing joy, a kind of secret as far as joy is concerned, wherever we are. And today we're picking up in Mary's story. And Mary's story is found in the Gospel of Luke, right? We have four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, each by four different writers, groups of people Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, it's interesting. Matthew tells the story of Joseph, and Luke tells us the story of Mary. So we're gonna pick up in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. And Luke tells us this. In the six months of elizabeth's pregnancy we talked about elizabeth two weeks ago god sent the angel gabriel to nazareth a town in galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named joseph a descendant of david the virgin's name was mary mary and of course uh, the, the angel gabriel appears to mary and gabriel by the way is the same angel that appeared to Zechariah the priest in the temple he told his story two weeks ago and and angels uh, I shared this is that usually we think of oh Bible angels are so cute I want to be touched by an angel right wrong like angels are scary things so this is a scary angel a scary angel surprising everybody he surprised Zechariah he shows up in Mary's house right who does that but Gabriel goes on to tell Mary, in a few sentences, this wild vision that God had for her life. What was up ahead, and and not only that, but how it would mess with her plans. This idea that she would bear the Son of God, the Messiah. She would be mother to the Messiah, something that people had been waiting for, for centuries. And of course, at that announcement, We don't really get from scripture, we don't get a description uh, of what she was feeling at the time when she received that news from the angel Gabriel. But what we do know is that the story tells us that Mary, her response was yes. That Mary said yes to God. Mary said yes to God and so there starts the crisis of the occasion. Starts the crisis for Mary. And so reflecting on Mary, I don't know if this happens to you, but this happens to me all the time. I say yes to something. Somebody asks me to do something and I'm super excited. I'm honored, right, that they would ask. Or maybe they ask, I'm just like not thinking about anything and I kind of get caught up in the occasion. Well, I know sometimes it happens to me that the next morning I wake up with what I call a commitment hangover. Commitment hangover. You know what I'm talking about. It's, it's like I wake up and I wonder, what did I say yes to? What did I agree to do, right? I said yes in the moment, only to come back, and I had second thoughts after I had some time to sleep on it. Well, we don't know exactly what Mary was feeling, but when we read the account of what she decided to do the next day, right after she had said yes to God, I think we get a glimpse... Of what she was feeling because Luke tells us this and starting in verse 39 at that time Mary got ready this is the day after Mary got ready and hurried hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth and so let's just pause there because it's it's very easy to kind of read through that very quickly you know if we're reading the Christmas story we might just kind of skip through that but let's just pause there because this contains some really really interesting stuff so first, the next day, the next day Mary hurried to what was known as the Judean Highlands to go visit Elizabeth. So, so think about this for a second. What do you usually do when you're excited? What's your first response? When you're excited about something, maybe you received really, really good news, or maybe that that tax refund is in the mail and it just arrived, or, or maybe somebody's having a baby, or whatever it might be, you know, you got off from work tomorrow, I don't know what it is, but what do you usually do when you receive good news when you're excited about it? You, you, you post on social media, right? That's what you do. No. Well, for me, you know, I find out about news and I'm super stoked and I just can't wait to tell everybody about it. You know, the first person I meet, even if they're a stranger, even if it's on Facebook, Right? though a little word of advice you know call mom first before you post on Facebook you don't want mom finding out from Facebook just a little note because she scolds you after that but um, but anyway when something happens and we we want to share it we're excited about it we just can't wait to tell the world but when something happens that shakes us up or scares us or makes us nervous or there's something really really heavy or that it's a big deal don't we tend to be much more discerning about who we tell, about what we do with it? That we might hold it in for a little while, that we tend to share it with a more select group of people. But we don't know exactly what Mary was feeling, but we do know that she got up and she hurried to see Elizabeth. She hurried to see Elizabeth because she, she chose Elizabeth to be the one that she could flush things out and discuss things with. But we have to consider where she went. Where she went. Because when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, this wasn't like it was just like across the street or down the block. So if we really look at like a map of this, where she's going. I love maps and geography. And we look at these places. We see that the Judean highlands, they're kind of in the southern part of Israel, down by Jerusalem. But Mary, Mary lived up in Nazareth. In Nazareth. And you see from the map that the two places are not anywhere nearby one another. And most scholars believe that, that the city that, or the town that Elizabeth and Zechariah lived in was a town called Ein Karim, Ein Karim. And it's actually like about an 80 to 100 mile journey from Nazareth. It's a pretty long way depending on the route that you would go. Most people would take the route that's on that map that goes and avoids the area of Samaria. So we have to ask ourselves, why, right? Why? Why would Mary go on this huge trek? Like, this is like an ultra marathon, guys. Like, people, do you believe it or not, people actually run like 50, 100 mile races and stuff. Well, this is like Mary. She's an ultra marathoner. She is. She's going on this journey by herself. And it's crazy. Why would she do that? Well, Elizabeth was a lot older than Mary. Elizabeth, we're told, was righteous and faithful. She was one of the few that held on to the faith that there was a Messiah still coming. And we're told that she was maybe 50-plus years older than Mary was. And she was married a long time to Zechariah. She was a relative of Mary, who was also pregnant. She was also pregnant, a miraculous pregnancy. Mary was told by the angel of this pregnancy though i doubt that mary really realized what the significance of this pregnancy was for elizabeth that it would be john the baptist the for the the precursor to the messiah that would come and announce that jesus was coming that that's who elizabeth was pregnant with and elizabeth though elizabeth didn't know that mary was pregnant we didn't she didn't know that mary was pregnant But what we do have here recorded is the moment that they encountered one another. See, Elizabeth didn't know what had happened to Mary, right? This is the next day, or this is however long that time duration of travel would have taken. She didn't know what had happened to Mary, but somehow she just knew. Has that ever happened to you? That, like, somebody didn't tell you something, but somehow, like, you encountered them and, like, you just like knew something. It was almost like God had like shared something in your heart or he gave you an impression in some way. You you see someone and you can just sense it. You can just sense it. Well, we're told that the spirit just welled up within Elizabeth and she knew. She knew. She knew what had happened to Mary, but she knew also the significance of Mary's pregnancy as it was related to her own. And this is what Luke tells us. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for what? Joy blessed is she who believed that the lord will fulfill his promises to her so in the greeting elizabeth shares joy elizabeth shares joy and and this this encounter right here is of huge significance in the bible huge significance if you come from a catholic background if you come from a catholic background maybe you've said the prayer known as the hail mary maybe you were told by a priest you had to say it a bunch of times but um, the, the, the prayer of the Hail Mary, this comes from actually what Elizabeth had said. Um, if you've ever heard the Ave Maria song, that actually means Hail Mary in Latin. If you've ever seen a school or a hospital called something of the holy visitation, do you know what that points to? This encounter, this visitation. But what's more is that this is a turning point for Mary. It's a turning point for Elizabeth, sharing joy, but it's a turning point for Mary. And and we don't know, of course, what she was feeling. Maybe it was the commitment hangover that she had pondered through her travels. Maybe she was seeking safety in Elizabeth. But then immediately we hear from Mary's lips. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant." Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation." What do you hear in her words? Joy. This is what's called Mary's song, joy. It's funny, it's not until this moment that she encounters Elizabeth and visits Elizabeth that she experiences joy. Mary receives joy from that encounter and then she goes on and she can't help herself but share it did you know that the Hebrew word for joy is this word this little word called simcha simcha not Simba not like Lion King simcha but uh, and it's simcha is a core part of the Jewish people of course Mary Elizabeth they're they're Jewish and simcha is interesting simcha all throughout scripture simcha is never about an individual experience It's never about an individual. It's always about something that we share. It's always something we share. The philosopher and and theologian, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, he says, "It, it takes moral courage to grieve, but it takes spiritual courage to rejoice. And that was something that the Jewish people took to heart because if you read throughout the Old Testament scriptures, you see so many times of celebration, but also times of tragedy. Of times that people messed up, that kings failed and made wrong choices, failed their their people, that that there were armies that fought in battle, and there were so many times of tragedy. And over and over and over, though, reflecting on those times, the Jews never lost the capacity to rejoice despite what they endured, despite their struggles, despite their people's uh, foreboding future, that the Jews never lost the capacity to rejoice. But they needed each other to do it. They made it a point to do it with each other, that they didn't celebrate alone. And I think that kind of points to this idea that we cannot fully rejoice alone. We cannot experience the fullness of joy alone. Even in the celebration of Sukkot, in the fall, if you've ever experienced that, I invite you find someone that celebrates It's a feast of tabernacles. They build these outdoor structures, and I know Beck and Alan have some close friends that do this, and they celebrate these this little house that they build outside with like branches and things, and. And it's to remind them, it's to remind them of how their people had done that for for years and years and years in the desert, depending upon God. And it's an exposed shack, right, that is exposed to the weather, that even if you slept out there, you'd probably get beat on by the rain and the wind and the storms. And it's interesting that in that feast, in that celebration of Sukkot, the Jewish people, they have a name for that celebration. They call it Zeman Simchadu. I'm pronouncing this totally wrong. I'm going to butcher it. We'll we'll go back later, Alan. But it's Zeman Simchanu, and it literally means our season of joy. Our season of joy despite the weather, despite what our people endured, despite what had gone on. See, Simcha, Simcha Simcha-type joy, it shows that we can survive failures and defeats and uncertainty and not knowing But only if we never lose the capacity for joy, if we choose it. And of course, you know, you and I know this. There's so many Christians that walk around like they just ate a lemon. Like just like that sour look on your face, like, you know, or in church, like, don't you dare smile, don't you dare laugh, don't you dare talk at people. Like, no, we should be the most joyful people on the planet, living that, expressing that. Because you know what joy does? It connects us to others, and it connects us to God. It's a reflection of God's very nature. I love what Mother Teresa once said. She said, joy is prayer. Joy is strength. Joy is love. Joy is a net of love by which you can catch souls. Isn't that true? You've experienced that. I've experienced that. But it's interesting. It's only when Mary was together with Elizabeth that she experienced joy. Is joy. Is contagious joy is is something to experience together joy can only be fully experienced together and I think it's a reminder for us it's a reminder for me not to take myself so seriously not to take myself and life so seriously but to smile to laugh to enjoy that and and the scene that Mary and Elizabeth encountering this this holy visitation that encounter together, where where Elizabeth shares in her joy and Mary rejoices in her song. It's very significant, if you didn't know, in art all over the world. It's painted, it's drawn, it's sculpted. And uh, during my time in seminary, when I was taking some different classes, I took this one class that kind of had a reflection on art in the church, and it was very, very interesting. And and one of these sculptures was a time that for us to focus as students on together around the Advent season right before finals by the way and um, and, and if you didn't know when you're in school uh, you know it, it kind of sometimes it can be very easy for your head to like race ahead of your heart and and, and so my professor I remember she had us like focus on this statue on this picture and um, she asked us as a class she said well what do you see here you know you know the story but what do you see here and there was silence and um, somebody yelled out, like, well, I see that people need other people, right? And she said, yeah, true, but probably a little bit further. And somebody else said, well, I need other people, like, not just people, but I, I'm owning that. And she said, yeah, yeah. And somebody else shouted from the back, they said, I can't do this alone. <laughs> Ooh, that's a little bit deeper, right? Going from people need other people, I need other people, can't, I can't do this alone. And she said, yeah, but just a little bit further, guys. Keep going. And a quiet student in the side of the room said, I know what that means. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. We all sat there in silence, reflecting on that. I'm by myself. I'm not enough. I can't do this by myself. I, I can't do life By myself. This is a reminder, Elizabeth and Mary, that there is strength in admitting that you are not enough. We look at Mary, and we're told that she was meek and mild, but I think actually she was strong and courageous. Because she recognized that she couldn't do this alone. One of the most courageous things she did was the very next day, after receiving news from God, after saying yes, maybe having the commitment hangover, who knows, was to hurry and hasten to go to someone else. That's where joy welled up, where she found it, where it was developed. And they were rejoicing, but doing so together. What Elizabeth did was to affirm what was already there in Mary, what was already going on, but sharing a new perspective. See, Mary questioned herself, probably, but Elizabeth, Elizabeth, and maybe you've had someone in your life do this, Elizabeth was able to see and name and confirm and affirm who she was, and what God was doing. The advent visitation here remind me, reminds me that joy is not to be cultivated alone, but to do so together. We need each other. We need each other, that, but yet we tend to be so resistant to reaching out for Elizabeth. And I know this, that there are some of us here most likely who are in the middle of major life decisions and very serious things going on and struggles and some of you have said yes maybe said yes to someone or maybe you've said yes to god and you're wondering what did i get myself into right and you're trying to do things by yourself it's common for us to say yes to things and then the day after we say yes it just kind of dies on the vine and it's it's not fun and i think i tend to think that the reason why we have so many false starts in life that we often live life disappointed or frustrated is because we try to do so many things in isolation by ourselves. The culture tells us that. Just do it, right? Suck it up. Just go ahead and do it. But Mary shows us that true joy requires other people, and it's a mistake to think that we can do so alone. So this Advent, this Advent, I want to challenge you. You have an Elizabeth in your life. Do you have an Elizabeth, someone you can go to, seek out, and learn from? That maybe that's where you will find the joy that you've been searching for in so many different places. But what's equally true, do you have a Mary? Do you have a Mary? Is there a Mary in your life? When, when I was ordained as a pastor, um, part of the ordination um, uh, service that they have, they have a laying of hands where all the pastors and the elders from different... Generations of ministry uh, lay hands on the candidate and, and it's a really, a really powerful moment. But, but in that moment, um, as an ordination candidate, you, you have to ask someone beforehand to say a prayer over you. Somebody that's been your Elizabeth. Somebody that has spoken those words and confirmed that in your life. Of course, I chose my, my uh, pastor and mentor, Frank Short, to do so. And 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 I think about that, about all the time that he had poured into my life and ministry and just getting me started when I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, right? And, and and I think about that, and then I think about now, like here I am, like several more miles down the road, and I'm like, you know what? I need a Mary. I need a Mary. You know, it's a tremendous thing to call out what you see in someone else. It's a tremendous thing that it can change someone's trajectory. And some of you don't realize the impact that you can have by naming something you see in someone else. So many of us are concerned just with our own journey. I mean, but you think about Elizabeth. Elizabeth, she's pregnant herself, right? She's already ahead several months down the line, and a lot of things had had gone on, but she stopped and she said, Mary is the person I want to be a part of seeing God do great things. And I think for many of us, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of god and to the world may not be something that you do it may be something someone you raise up well several years back um my high school um, i grew up outside of philadelphia my high school had a um a meeting for all the teachers uh, and as they do i know in many school districts we have quite a few teachers here and um they had a teacher meeting and as part of that they wanted to celebrate the music department and um and so there was going to be like a little concert they were going to do a song together they had some of the teachers and a couple of the students that were going to be a part of this um, as part of the meeting but lo and behold they thought it was just a song until this happened watch this That towards the end of his life, having been dead for or deaf, I'm sorry, having been deaf for twenty years, Beethoven composed one of the greatest pieces of music ever written, the Ninth Symphony. He was completely deaf, hardly heard a note of it. But contrary to all of his other pieces, he sensed that this work needed the sound of human voices. And so it became the world's very first choral symphony voices coming together, and the words he chose to set to the music were from the poem by Schiller, Ode to Joy. See, joy is what connects us to one another and to God. So my question for you, how can you spread joy? How can you be connected to joy, not because of circumstances, but in the face of it? To throw a party, to give a gift, to lend an ear, to sing a song, to dance a dance, to laugh, because all that, according to Kierkegaard, takes some courage. How can you spread joy? And the great news is that none of us can do it alone, that we can't face uncertainty, we can't face depression, we can't overcome sin, that it's true that we and you are not enough. But that's where the joy starts, realizing that we can never, ever do it alone, but we never have to. And joy is what's in the process. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for going before us. We thank you for your work, Lord, and your reminder. Your reminder that so many times in life we can just get caught up in things. And there are so many things to get caught up in, there are so many worries. There are so many concerns. There are so many things that just keep us up at night, Lord. But Lord, help us to never lose sight, of the joy that you provide. And Lord, help us here, too, to know that we don't walk alone, that we don't walk alone because you are with us every step of the way, Lord, but that we also have each other. And that when our voices come together, when we're side by side, shoulder to shoulder, Lord, that's the place that Simcha Joy is really, really found. Sometimes in a surprising place. Sometimes in a conversation. Sometimes in a new friendship or relationship. But Lord, help us not to lose sight of the importance of us taking part in that. Of having the courage to share in joy. And so together as people who are made in your image, who are seeking to follow you, Lord. Lord, our voices join together today in the prayer that you told your disciples to pray. And and Lord, before we pray this prayer, Lord, um, we submit to you, Lord, in all things. The way that we don't measure up, the way that we are broken and we do mess up, Lord, but Lord, we ask for your help